Hello, everyone, and welcome to another edition of Turn Out a Punk Footnotes. I am one of your hosts, Damien Abraham, and returning from parts unknown, Chris O'Toole. Chris, how are you doing, buddy? Good. How are you? Good. That was a kind of an Undertaker entrance for you. Yeah, it was. It was really good. Thanks. I've been working on it. I was practicing. That's why I actually uh, hung up on you before. It wasn't because I had to fix my computer. It was so I could practice that off air. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Fair enough. So, uh, so uh, you know, we talked off air. I got caught up on uh, the information that cannot be shared with the audience about how your life is going. And so I'm glad uh, we had that conversation. And uh, now we will move on to stuff that is safe for public consumption. <laughs> Fair enough. <laughs> uh, make it sound sc- more scandalous than it is in a way, but yeah. No, I was trying to make. I thought. I thought I made it sound perfectly positive. But if it if it did sound like a scandal, I would say Chris stopped leading such a scandalous lifestyle. <laughs> no, <laughs> I wish I were that interesting. Anyway, go on. <laughs> um, it's a. It's been a. Uh, a been an eventful week for myself. How's How's your last week been? Uh, good. I think I tried to catch up with you about it earlier. I don't really remember a lot of it. Just spent a lot of it working. That's the main deal. But uh, I don't know. I feel like I did something I'm forgetting at the moment that I should share. But I don't think I went to a show or anything. I can't remember. Anyway, I don't remember. How was yours, Dave? It was good. It was good. I went to two shows, which is oh. in the same night. <laughs> that's called like, – yeah, that's classic. I haven't done that in a while. Which was crazy. I went and saw Strung Out and Pennywise, but I had to leave before mm-hmm. Pennywise played because I had to make it all the way literally to the other side of town to the Molson Amphitheater to go and see uh, Portugal the Man and Broken Social Scene play. Wow. Yeah, that is quite the the difference in shows and places. Very different shows. You know what one common denominator was? You were at both? Well, that. Um, <laughs> weed. <laughs> Fair enough. Yeah, true. <laughs> I do think I could see any audience of of the shows you just mentioned getting into Brohim in unison, mind you. I I would have loved to have stayed for Brohim and gotten on stage yeah. again. Like I I I worry though if I had, would it create a uh, a, a time space rift where I would be rejoined with myself at fifteen singing on stage? <laughs> With Pennywise, like I would have just completed my life so perfectly, like what that 15 year old hoped and dreamed his life would be like. (laughs) It it is. uh, I do think there is a certain age when that song especially came out where, yeah, it does does hit you at the at the right formative years. Uh, But, yeah, I, I don't know if I had those same ambitions you have made realized. <laughs> but, uh, have you ever gotten to sing Bro Him on stage with Pennywise, Chris? I have not. I've had moments of of, of similar, uh, let's just say, like introductory fascinations with certain groups and songs where I did do that. A group that I believe we'll touch on uh, shortly in topic. But uh, no, not Bro Him though. Not specifically, no. Well, Chris, not Pennywise actually at all. I've only ever seen Pennywise once, I think. I think I I've just found the ultimate holiday gift for you. What's that? Getting you the opportunity to sing on stage. Oh no! Do bro yeah, into- with Pennywise. Well, I don't. I have no. Uh, no, 
I don't want to do that. No, you not should do that. Of, uh, and not any, out of anything against Pennywise. I just, it's not, uh, I try not to do singing on stage <laughs> if, if possible these days. You know, a lot of cultures around the world have coming of age ceremonies and rituals. <laughs> yeah. When a young person reaches a certain age that they, yeah. they, you know, they have this passage and then they become an adult. Um, for, for the, the children of the Epiphat God <laughs> or gods. Um, yeah. We, our ritual is singing bro him on stage with Pennywise. I do think you're, that's not, uh, you're, you're fairly accurate by saying that. I would say, yes, I, I think, I don't even think, I hope <laughs> I've progressed beyond that and I'm not at the coming of age anymore, but, <laughs> but if, well, if I need to retroactively do that to, uh, you know, make myself whole. That's I think you it. do. That's what I'm trying to get at, Chris. <laughs> yeah. No, no, we're not doing that. Please, please no. I'm just like, I, I don't think like in theory in the back of my head, I'm like, this wouldn't ever happen. But I'm like, you know what? At a live turn out of punk, it might happen. Or it might be this awkward, you know, here you, like those for the listeners, I'm breaking the fourth wall here. Uh, you don't really know that Damien likes to do these sorts of things on occasion to his loved ones. And so that's where I, I'm in the back of my head. I'm like, hmm. I got to avoid this one if possible. <laughs> well, there might be no avoiding it. But anyway, let's move on to uh, to yeah. some other topics. I'm going to pour some more tea. Yeah. I'm drinking yeah. tea from a glass. I've taken to drinking tea from a glass because I find the mugs. There's not enough room for as much tea as I want to consume. I agree. So that, that's a big problem with the, with the mug, the traditional it's, mug system. Yeah. It is, and especially a tea cup. It's like a small ass yeah. cup. Yeah, yeah, so. agreed. Anyway, well, that's where, that's going to be our new Kickstarter campaign. It's going to be <laughs> <laughs> a big ass tea mug. Yeah. Uh, okay, Chris. Turned on, out a punk, punk onto, mug. Go on. Yeah, turned out a punk mugs. That'll be a Patreon uh, tier. There you go. The mug tier. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, well, I guess we should get on to today's show. Today on yeah. the show. We got we got a doozy. Uh Chris, I know you're a fan of this band as much as yep. I am. But uh this is one that I you know what, Tristan, hats off once again to my brother, show producer, guest booker, Tristan Abraham, because you know, he keeps making these like dream conversations come true true for me. Chris Freeman of the band Pansy Division, also of the much talked about on this episode, band the attachments. Uh one of if not the most important kind of like, I don't know, like, I don't like, it's, it's weird to, to talk about this. And this is something that comes up in the episode too, but I was about to say one of the most important kind of gay punk bands, queer punk bands. Uh, but that I don't want to undercut like all the other gay, queer, non-binary trans people and artists that are exist in punk rock. But I just think Pansy Division, you know, just was on such a platform for a moment that, you know, disrupted a lot of like the kind of like jock vibes of punk rock at that time. I agree. I thought this might be a talking point. So I don't know how much you want to, you want to bite into this one now. You're right. Maybe we should save it for the actual episode itself. Yeah. To, as a teaser, I'm just going to say, I agree. Okay. There we go. <laughs> to be continued. Wholeheartedly. Um, CBD. Yeah. CBC. Pardon me. 
<laughs> so what should we go with? Uh, I guess we should. Uh, should we go into the mailbag right away then? Yeah, we got it. We don't have a ton, so there's things that we can address because some of them are. It's the large talking point. I believe you and Dave discussed the United States of Hardcore, which yes. uh, which Krang, uh, I guess, was. I don't know if that, I'm assuming Krang's still an imprint magazine. Uh, yep. I guess it is. But yep. um, they did some kind of uh, expose on that. Uh, and I guess it's their. Uh, whatever their picks for the United States of hardcore, which of course has uh, a few listeners curious about our, um, take on it as well as, uh, you know, sort of their objection to things, which I believe you and Dave kind of bit into a bit last week. Yeah. We but, went into it. Um, yeah, so we can, we, there's, uh, one, we had a few people message. Thank you for everyone writing in the one in specific. I want to kind of highlight is a uh, listener, Adam G wrote in essentially asking our, our thoughts, but also proposed a um, uh, the Canadian equivalent of this idea being the best band from each province. Okay. So we have to get a map which, of Canada up. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Which it's, it's, this is much more difficult than uh, even the United States. One. Although the United States has so much more, um, argument of like who do you choose because i just i you know i don't know of any punk bands from north like when i say northern i mean like real northern canada like, like yukon or northwest territories or none of it um well i the only band that i can kind of think of uh from you know the north uh I th- I'm, I'm trying to remember where they're from um i think they were from nunavut um, but there was this band called Northern Haze. That's okay. like a, a, a super awesome kind of heavy metal band that uh, was, you know, forgotten for a long time or lot not forgotten. But CBC put out their record back in the day and okay. it was like lost. And then I'm trying to remember who reissued it. Someone reissued it um, and put it out there as a as like, you know, got it out there to people to hear. But it's it's an awesome record. Oh, yeah, Supreme Echo reissued it back in 2012. Yeah. And you are correct. That is from none of it. So there's there's our nominee from none of it. We're just going to put that one out. I, I can't think of any other bands. Dude, look at this photo of Northern Haze. How could they not be the band? They look fucking awesome in that photo. Um, yeah. Okay. Then if we go, well, okay, like Newfoundland. Because um, it's hardcore, I'm going to say Schizoid. Sure, I thought we were just going, okay, we are going hardcore specific, okay. Well, that's what their map is, right? And that's what hung Dave and I yeah. up a little bit. Because, like, if you get into, like, punk, it you know, there's a lot of cool kill-by-death stuff from, like, obscure places. But hardcore, it's a little hard to come up with. Yeah, I agree. I could see what you mean by that now. Yeah, I'm just thinking, like, for New York area and everything, yeah, they don't have – I'm just looking at the map to compare. Yeah. All right, well, Canada, all right. So. Okay. The the big debates are going to be who is British Columbia, who is Ontario. We'll get to that maybe at the end, I yeah, guess. Yeah. So I'm let's go in between. I've got one for Edmonton. Unless you're going to trump me on this. No, I think we should move. We should move east to west. Okay. Then um, you go start. As, what do we so, got? So Newfoundland, Schizoid, sure. Beer Thief, classic Agreed. record, amazing record. I can't think of another band from that region though that that uh, would be. Well, I'm trying to think of uh, if we're going punk. And we're going to, like, there's obviously The Killing. There's, like, bands later on, too. But if we're going to punk, you could, you'd could you have the Slime LP, 
yeah. in there as well. But I still think I think Schizoid like that to me is still one of the best New York hardcore records, not from New York. <laughs> yes, it's a great record. So I'm gonna yeah, Schizoid's good. So that's okay. Yep, that's done. So then we go to New Brunswick. Mm-hmm. Uh, is that that where Purple Nights from? Yep. So there we go. I'm just trying to think of any. There's got to be a Tough Justice. Were they from there too? Mm, Not Tough Justice. Uh, Neighborhood Watch. Or are they from Halifax? That I don't know. Halifax. You're gonna Halifax. You. I would have to refer to the, or you would have to refer we uh, to the the Chris Murphy episode. I don't know the old punk Halifax bands offhand myself all that well. There are there are definitely a couple. Uh, Bands from Halifax. I'm trying to think, though, who would be the... This is for Nova Scotia. Halifax isn't the entire... Yeah, no, you're right. Nova Scotia. As listeners say. But yeah, Nova Scotia, Halifax is generally the biggest representation that people are familiar with outside of the area. I really love that band Genetic Angry from a couple years ago. Yeah, new ones might get in. I mean, Halifax, I'm trying to think of an older Halifax mention of a band out there. Uh... Oh, there are definitely some. Like, there's Chris's old band, Chris Murphy's old band, which I still yeah. haven't heard the demo of. Tough Justice would be up there. I think they're from, I'm 90% sure that's Nova Scotia. Um, well, you know, I think, uh, I'm trying to think PEI. <laughs> I'm trying to think of a punk band from PEI. Yeah, have fun. Too. There's another one. No idea. <laughs> okay. Well, let's move on to Quebec. Quebec's going to be a little bit harder. You know, I think early mm-hmm. contenders would be Doughboys, Nails, Nepsy, uh, yeah, uh, Discord, Discord, that Discord single's fucking ridiculous. Zyklon B, um, Omegas, ooh, Omegas, good too. Omegas were fucking amazing. Yeah, Um, there's a lot of good ones in Quebec, actually. There's a lot, you know. I, I though, um, I, I think I might go with Capitalist Alienation. (laughs) After that whole list, this is it. Uh, Yeah. I have to go. You named good ones, and I had forgotten. Asexuals could be on it too. Yeah, I. It's so tough because there's bands like for different reasons. I feel like Nipsey's just got to get it just for just just seemingly being there. They they weren't the earliest, obviously, of anything we're mentioning. No, but they you're were, right. They I were. They're they're sort of most. I think I'm trying to think of things that you know sort of put. Quote unquote, like put some of this on the map in a way. And not that, of course, there are bands before, and there's a lot of Mel bands from there and whatever, but I just think Inepsy deserves that title. That would be my vote. Although I love the Omegas and I love that mention. I wouldn't have thought about that, but that is true. Yep. Incredible band. Probably a band, actually, I, like, you know, no shade thrown to anyone here, but a band I like more, actually. But Inepsy, I think, gets the, the title there. Yeah, like to see Inepsy kind of like around the time of that second album at the loud house like yeah. that's like unruled's another one right aren't they from quebec unruled's right? fucking fantastic too yeah. um i like i don't know if i've seen any live footage vomit in the zits too there's like there's a lot of bands that you could do from quebec yeah. um we're obviously leaving out massive amounts too of course reset you could have reset right there yeah. fair warning simple plan <laughs> nope <laughs> not having those man o steel yeah, you know, you get, you know, I just want to say that I said fair warning there, and then you said simple plan. I well, I said that. reset first, Chris, and that's where you, <laughs> you know. So I, I did, I did go to the joke earlier. Yes, <laughs> um, I think Ontario. 
This is going to be a hard one. Ooh, hard uh, debate here. Hard uh, debate. I would say, you know, you got like a lot of options from, you know, Southern Ontario. I think I'm going to say the nunfuckers though. <laughs> You're amazing. I, uh, because this is a footnote show, I think that is, that is, uh, a fair submission. Like, I'm going to be honest though. Like, okay. <clears throat> it, it probably actually is going to be sons of Ishmael, right? Like KC hardcore is like a fucking incredible record, but that nunfucker seven inch is ridiculous. Yes. I still think, though, both of those are great. Although we did use Schizoid for, yeah, Newfoundland. So then I suppose this makes logical sense in that regard. But clearly there are very big fish that we're leaving out. Uh, Although, arguably, I think the bigger names, for me anyway, I'm sure you agree to a point, is uh, in the punk world, capital P Punk, uh, would be the bands that I would I would nominate as most representative. Yeah, like I would say, Career right. Suicide would be also one band that I, yeah, I would definitely good put one. out there. Yeah, but you know, or Tinker Combo, Tinker Combo would. <laughs> yep. I would say Tinker Combo actually. If I'm like, if I'm, I you know, I, I think I think Tinker Combo for the, for the listening audience. This is uh, hashtag Killed by Damien talking right now. <laughs> no, I think I think if you ask anyone that was around in Toronto. During, yes, and during uh, during that band, they would be like they were the best band in Toronto. I agree with you. I just think it was a to people like you and I. I think that that makes per- perfect logical sense, dude. Look on the Kerrang list and look what band they picked for Florida. <laughs> Regardless, I still think yes, Tinker Combo are an excellent band. We're excellent, but I just think like of of the entirety of Ontario, that's the band you're going to choose. Of well, all the groups that you're clearly <laughs> ignoring, some of them, including the one you're in. But I still, yeah. I like, I yeah, like, I still think, I still think Teen Crud. <laughs> Teen enough. Crud in their prime. I love Teen Crud. You know I do, and they yeah. have probably the best album title ever for that collection. But I don't know if I could pick them over a few groups. Crew Suicide being a very, very. Uh, admirable nomination, specifically because of the duration of Crew Suicide at this point, yeah, and the Second Life, and and the amount that they are representative worldwide of this area. That's true, but I think it's ultimately down to yeah, I, I don't know, I, 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 none fuckers or Team Crack Combo. <laughs> uh, Fair enough, Manitoba. Fair enough. Fuck, this is a hard one, too. Not for me. It's only one. It's not a hardcore band, though. What's your one? Well, quote-unquote, not a hardcore band. Uh, Propagandi? Yeah, it's the only band. There are, there are I, more obscure bands. That band, Under Pressure, from there was fucking awesome. Like, especially yes. their last lineup, they were fucking incredible. Like, last era, when they got, like, full-on Japanese worship, they were fucking ridiculous. Yeah, there's only one band that people in the world know of. I know, Propagandi. It would be, it would be, it probably is Propagandi. I'm trying to think, like, there's definitely, like, what's, what's, uh, personality crisis or something? Yeah, they're all good examples. I just think Propagandi. If we're going the footnotes way, like, full on killed by death style, then yes, we're going to pick, you know, but I just think, like, you know, yeah, I, there's no other group to pick. I, I can't, I, uh, but like, no. does Propagandi qualify as a hardcore band? 
you yeah, know, that's, it, that's, using the Kerrang definition, which is broadly hardcore, obviously, but like it's everything's kind of like there's not a lot of poppy edge to the stuff that they picked. Well, I think what I will get to is is I have that feeling on one of my other choices for a province over. Okay. Um, so I would say yes, but I get what you mean by this. Yes, they're not a traditional hardcore band in the traditional sonic sense. They have certainly moments, especially early. But yeah. there was they're they're not a, you know, they're not that band outright. Yeah. Yeah. Um the uh, okay, next province over. What's your pick? Saskatchewan. No idea. I, I can't spy, dude. I That's spy. where they're from? Regina. I don't know where bands are from. Really? Well, yeah. okay, that I can't think of another, so that that I'll choose for now. <laughs> this is the problem with the Canadian map is like there's not many. Yeah, really. This is, this is a Damien hot take right here. Mm-hmm. The the I spy side of the propaganda I spy split <laughs> is like one of my top five Canadian hardcore records ever. It's very good. That split in general is very good. Um, that to me is like when someone's like, "Oh, I'm into emo, like emotional hardcore." Yeah, I, I, I never liked anything that fell under that definition for the most part. Yeah, but like if I'm thinking of like what is emotional hardcore to me, it's yeah. I Spy. Yep. I, I know what you mean. I fully agree with that. I think that's a 90s pr- perspective on that, though. Like, a, a not not like, a, yeah, that that's my idealized version of what that word should mean when people yeah. say it. It is not what it tends to be in reality. But, uh, yeah, that I very much know what you mean when you say that and agree. I, I would also say Todd, you know, for, for later in Propagandi, uh, mm-hmm. has one of the coolest voices for, like, conveying – emotion like in those songs like he sounds like he's on the verge of tears but never stops being angry sounding for me i always weirdly and they're not they're not too dissimilar but they're also not incredibly similar if that makes any sense but i always liken them to like canada's bizarre answer to like born against i would you know what that i was like where are you the fuck are you gonna go with this chris but you know what i would say yeah you're right like i would say that's the closest, like they would fit in that scene better than they fit in any other scene. Yeah. That, that's always, that was my sort of feeling for a long time. Yeah, I agree. That's very astute. <laughs> I never thought of it like that, but you're right. It's kind of like yeah. same sort of vibe, same sort of like really interesting lyrics, like the lyrics of their songs. Like as a kid, I remember hearing them and they've stuck with me to this day. Like, yeah, oh. for sure. Um, yeah. Like I extroverts are amazing from Saskatchewan as well, but once again, more punk, um, for me, it's like I Spy hands down. Yeah, I can't. Again, I can't think of any other groups to rival it. And I Spy is a great. I thought they were from Manitoba as well. So I got I'm called out on about... stage one time for saying they were from Winnipeg. <laughs> nice in Winnipeg. So <laughs> I learned so my good. lesson. It burst into my memory forever. <laughs> Fair enough. <laughs> <laughs> it was rather humiliating. Yeah. Okay, next province over. We are in Alberta. Alberta. I think it's another contentious one, depending on what bands you want to gravitate to. I'm not great with a lot of geography of where bands are from, but one band I know is from here who also relocated, but started here, and therefore this is where they are from in my brain. And because the where they relocated is also contentious, which is the West Coast. Uh, SNFU, no question. Yeah. 100%. I would say I would definitely... 
Yeah, like once again, though, it's contentious in the same way that MDC being from Texas is contentious. Yeah. Like yeah. they, to me, put out a lot of amazing stuff when they were in Edmonton. Mm-hmm. But like, are they more of a Vancouver band? Well, the reason why I'm not putting that is because it, it leaves room. Well, oh, one, no, I absolutely. Don't, I don't know if they would win out in, in the in the BC battle. I know they wouldn't. Um, so it's it, going to be a hard province. It allows you to add that in and then it also – you know, it's it is where they started, so that's yep. that's where I give it. Yeah, I'm I'm just being devil's advocate on that because no, like, no. Yep. At the same time, you're right. Like they are, like arguably the best live punk band ever out of Canada. Yeah, and certainly that I don't think it's unfair. Yeah, I think that's fair. Yeah, put a lot of great records, uh, and now we are in BC. Have fun. Here's the other debate. <sighs> okay, well. <laughs> No, it's like not a debate. Same way California is not really a debate. You just got to give it to DOA. Yes, but it's just how many other things you leave out because you have to choose one. That's the problem. Yeah. That's, yeah. you know, but yeah, the, it's DOA, but, but, <laughs> you know, there's a lot of things that aren't on here because of that too. Yeah. So, no, you're right. There's a lot of like awesome stuff that wouldn't be on there, but like, I, like, would any of it exist? Obviously, it would. But, I mean, like, for the sake of this podcast, would any of it exist without DOA? I know what you mean, yeah. I The irony is I don't think DOA is my favorite group from no, there. No, But I do think they're probably historically the most important, without question. Yeah. Yeah, like, I think it's a... Uh, and arguably the most important Canadian uh, punk hardcore band as well, I would argue. Yeah. But that's a whole other debate. Awesome. Uh, yeah, you're right. It's totally, totally a uh, separate argument. So we did have one submission for the new, for, uh, sorry, none of it. Yukon and Northwest Territories, I have no idea as well. I'm, there are probably bands from there. Please, yeah, assume. please, if you're listening and you are yeah. familiar with bands from there that we, and we shouldn't know them and they're not on our radar, send them in because we would definitely love to check them out ourselves and also, Love to fill in our map. Yeah. Um, uh, but yeah, like there's a lot of, this map will change any day. Like I might wake up tomorrow and it'd be all pop punk leaning bands. <laughs> so it's like Stiffs in Ontario. <laughs> yeah. DBS in BC. Well, hey, that came to mind. But yeah, of course they can't get picked over others. Yeah, it would be like – that's the thing is BC, like California, there's a lot of stuff you can go to. It's there's, too much. Same with Ontario too, but yeah. Same with Ontario too. But like I still think it's easier than trying to – but no, it, it, it's 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 difficult because there's not as many provinces maybe. I don't know. It's uh, it's fun. This is a fun exercise. Thank you for sending this email and that was a, yeah. a massive uh, uh, trip across the land of Canada. Yes. Uh, so do we want to move on to the next mail message? I, you know what? Like, uh, do you want to save the next email for next week? Yeah, sure. Maybe save some emails because I realized we, uh, well, not we, I blathered on very long during that last segment, Chris. And I want problem. to make sure we have time to kind of devote to this episode Yeah. in sort of a real way. Unless there's like another short email that you think is, is timely. No, no, I think, I think we're good. There's other just... It's uh, the talking point stuff. It's things we can get to kind of whenever. So I think that works. Okay. Um, but yeah, so where do you want to go from here, my friend? Uh, well, I guess should we just dive into today's episode? Yeah, sure, man. 
Today on the show, we are talking about the aforementioned Chris Freeman episode from Pansy Division and the attachments and, and uh, yeah, just like a, a person that had a huge, huge role on my uh, life as a music fan when I got to meet, you know, Pansy Division and they were just like the coolest people, like just so nice to these kids that must have just been fucking brutal. <laughs> like now as an adult, <laughs> like I look at like what my my myself and my brother and our friends were being like, and I say them, but it was really me. Um, <laughs> like holy shit! Like these bands, like had the you know patience of saints. Well, I do think like the first thing that came to mind when you even told me this was happening, and then upon hearing the interview was. Um, and sort of speaks to what we kind of alluded to 10 minutes or so ago uh, in, in the importance of Pansy Division and, and for people of the generation of you and I and also who have the – like who are into punk or whatever, like punk, pop punk largely at the time or whatever. Um, I never met them and I've still never seen them. Really? Uh, you didn't get to see them on any no, of those? Did they play never. Niagara on those? Because they would play Toronto um, like a bunch. They never – that I'm aware of, they never came through, and I'm quite positive because I would have, I can't see myself having not been there had they. But uh, I do believe that there was some sort of near off day thing where, particularly because, um, oh, I'm trying to remember who it was, but I bought the uh, Manada 7 inch. Mm-hmm. I think it was off of, uh, what was that Nico Case band I was talking about? Uh, now? Meow or whatever, meow. Uh, they they had them, but they could have just been distributing them via Mint. But I thought there was some kind of like they were playing with them and their off day was coming to my area and then for Reverse and Pansy Division didn't. But anyway, um, so no, I never saw them, never met them. So I don't, don't have that experience. But I recall vividly um, – I'm trying to remember the year though. But I remember when they came through with Green Day because people – I was still in high school. People had um, – well, a couple of friends of mine went. I didn't go. But it was uh, – I don't know what you would even call it. It was like – sort of like the mailing list. I don't know if it was Pansy Divisions or Green Days. But I had – like a, a friend in high school had this – you know, it was like – it was essentially like a, trying to hip people to like – you know, clearly they knew the audience they were playing to where it wasn't aware of Pansy Division or wasn't aware of – you know, that like sort of underground culture. So they were catering this sort of little leaflet to like, hey, man, you might be into cool stuff. Like it wasn't like a list of anything. It was just this sort of, it's either like a mailing list or whatever, but it was essentially like this little gateway into like, you know, hearing the interview and hearing you talk specifically about your experience of meeting them and that being super cool and it leading you down clearly the path where you've gone now. Um, but yeah, just that idea that that, that was in the air at a Green Day show in like, I don't know, 95 or 96 maybe. I can't remember what year. Um, but also that I remember the two things being said was how much Pansy Division had this like gigantic impact. And I had friends, again, who weren't like, you know, by no means were they intolerant, but they certainly weren't like, you know, super open about these sorts of things before seeing this. Mm-hmm. And they were so floored and sort of vividly described how like rebellious it was mm-hmm. to see this band that I think it was even selling shirts with a giant like penis on it. Just a pansy division with a giant penis, I think was the shirt they sold on that tour. 
And it was like this, you know, again, for, for, you know, high school kids, um, it was like this big, like rebellion. And so I think, you know, again, this is like a, almost a subversive nature to what that group did and, and arguably still does to a degree. But I thought it was really cool. And I always felt it was a real, real DIY nod um, in a way because they weren't doing it in a way that was like, um, you know, kind of like, I don't know. They weren't doing it co- like it wasn't corny and it wasn't like by description. I wasn't there. But there was just no like agenda to it that was anything that was not pure of heart in terms of like, hey, we're really into punk. Like get into this stuff. There's a whole other world you don't know about to the people mm-hmm. that are, are not inside that bubble. Um, and I think, you know, sidebarring this, I also think a group I've never been a fan of really, but I do think also deserve a major bit of credit despite – being you know you know pretty much in the like green day deserve a lot of credit i think for for taking a group like that on tour and other groups that they took on tour over the years like riverdales are another good example um you know things of this nature so yeah i just vividly remember when you were talking to him about that tour coming through i didn't go but i knew people that did and it was like their experiences were similar to what you were saying this like vivid like 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 sort of changing defining moment of like them getting into like people getting into something more. Well, like and I and I you know in the course of the interview I might have made it seem like I grew up in a much more sheltered environment than I did. Like my mom was a flight attendant, um, and and there were a, there were men in her line of work that were openly gay, and so I grew up around gay men. Like it wasn't like this was a revelation to me, but I think it was how open they were. And, you know, unapologetic, you know, like they shouldn't be apologetic, but like, especially at that time, like think about like groups like two live crew or like, or like groups like, uh, green jello or stuff that was just like so overt in like heterosexuality and just like, here it is. So to have like a, a group of men that just present their sexuality and like present it to the audience, like it blew minds. Like, you know, here I was as this kid who had been, you know, exposed to a lot of things, but even me, I was like taken aback, you know, like for those about to suck cock, like yeah. th- that is like something that, you know, like in our heteronormative kind of world, like wasn't shown to teenagers in at that time. And so like, here's Pansy Division. And once again, you know, yeah, credit to Green Day where they deserve it on bringing this band on tour with them, but also, you know, credit to Pansy Division. Cause I'm sure that was a hard tour. Like, yeah, for sure. It fucked up opening for the Arcade Fire in 2012 was difficult. I could only fucking imagine what it was like to be <laughs> Pansy Division yeah. in the 90s opening for Green Day. Well, two sidebars to that real quick. I do believe on the Live at Boston episode, uh, I believe it was Chris Corey mentions that, mm-hmm. that he saw that tour, I think, in D.C., whatever year we're discussing. I can't remember. I think it's 96, 95. Uh, and he describes briefly like how awful it was that so much of the audience were like brutal um, to Pansy Division. Uh, I believe it is. Anyway, I could be mistaken there, but I'm pretty I think, sure. I think you're right. Now that's coming and, back to me. And also in a previous interview as well with um, – was it with Chicks Diggit? What's his name? KJ? KJ, yep. He talks about their tour and like promoters literally not doing the shows because Pansy Division were on them. And sort of those guys having to deal with that, like not tricks. I mean, like just like 
them seeing firsthand how much resistance this band was facing, even in like the later mid later nineties, which to me is insane. Um, and I believe actually even one of those he talks about in the episode might have been in St. Catharines, which is the sort of the area I reside. Uh, was one of those. I I don't remember hearing tell of any story like that, but um, yeah, crazy. So uh, yeah, I'm with you. I do think sort of to further elaborate on what you're saying, I think for me, it's not like I hadn't, you know, I was aware of like, not that these interrelate other than that, you know, punk is a large, you know, net, which casts onto many things, but I was already aware adequately like aware of things like say Gigi Allen Mm -hmm. so it's not like things were shocking to me in a way where you know when you first see something or hear something and you just cannot believe how extreme it is or something Pansy Division were like you're you're saying were much more important in a subversive way where it wasn't it was rebellious and that's what I identified with as a young person uh, seeing this but also seeing the courage of that kind of expression being unapologetic and also it made me think about things in a much more way that like hit hit home rather than this like sensationalized uh you know ridiculous like horror movie way which mm-hmm. just is not realistic so to speak well, and i think that's what for me hit home at the time was just like wow this is a completely different uh worldview that i'm aware exists but i've never seen it in practice and i've never seen it in practice in a way where you know it's not and they're not like a uber macho group either which is another important thing to say like if these were all like bodybuilding types who just like you know that they came on and that was the shtick that they're like tough or something but like the courage was that they weren't those people and they were still very fuck you about their their whole thing which i think is still incredible i think they're an exponentially important group sorry go on and I would also say they're one of the most fun live bands I saw. Like back then, they were always every show you went to was like a fun show where everyone smiled and everyone had a good time. And I can't say that about every show I went to back in the nineties. <laughs> <laughs> I, I but, never saw them, but I'll take your word. Yeah, <laughs> but it's also like what you said, kind of like you know, it hit me like how fucked up is punk as a world too? Where like I'm the same way as you. Like I'm more familiar with like a guy who's singing about exposing himself to children, you know, <laughs> and then like, here I am like, you know, taken aback and not shocked in like a, once again, a horrified way, but just shocked at how overt it is on this group of just, you know, people writing consensual love songs, you know, like that's what Pansy Division is. Like maybe not even love songs, consensual sex songs, yeah, which is more than, you know, the mentors in Gigi Allen did. At different times. <laughs> yes. But I think what it is, is it, it's, it's, I'm trying to articulate this properly. I think we're both kind of hitting on it, but it was what it is for me, or at least at the time was for me, similar to the way, like when you hear first year propaganda, how confrontational it is in a way. But at the same time, it just makes you reevaluate like, well, actually, you know, are you really this open minded? Mm-hmm. You know, really, you know, when you when you really put like, quote unquote, your money where your mouth is like, is this something like you really like you can really understand that you really you know are behind? And that was a group like Pansy Vision early on. And although I was well into all, you know, underground music by then, they were still a group that was very, very edgy in the way that they again presented everything even though the music sonically wasn't terribly aggressive uh i think it's amazing by the way i love their early records but um 
yeah, they, uh, for me, they were just an exponentially important group, a group that I never got majorly into, but those earlier records definitely heard and definitely dug. Still really like Undressed a lot in particular. Um, I wish I had these seven inches, which I, I never really, you know, like followed up on collecting any of the early stuff, like those singles anyway, but the LP, like Undressed, I love. The one, that I, great. the one I would love to find is Bill and Ted's Homosexual Adventure, because I don't even remember seeing that one back then. Yeah, no. And all these records look cool. Like, they're such cool. Yeah, I mean, obviously, cool. that one has overt, like, <laughs> pornographic <laughs> things on it. But um, but they have a, like, have a very good aesthetic in the way that, you know, these records did. I also think it's important to say that they there's definitely a sensational element to what they present visually, of course. There's no arguing that. But I, th- I think that's an intentional move, which I, I still am behind. And also... What I liked really about them is they they weren't you there are different groups at points that have either been or at least used the shtick of of this kind of like we're a gay band, whether or not it's true. And uh that at times certainly can be well more than questionable sometimes. Um Whereas I think it's important that this group really was about what they were about and it wasn't a gimmick and it wasn't uh, it wasn't a joke as much as it was done lightheartedly. It's not like, like a joke. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? It was very much a genuine, uh, provoking in all the right ways without being empty or being like, uh, patronizing toward the culture that, you know, they, they weren't representative of, so to speak. And they also put out like amazing, you know, like it, it just like amazing, band like amazing music i should say like yeah, yeah yeah like the the thing about that band is like at the time i loved them because of just everything like the package the who they were as people you know but now as i'm older like you go back and listen to those records and it's like yeah there's like some poppy songs there but like like a song like deep water like that's a fucking killer song yeah, there I mean, like I said, I think <laughs> the one I think of all the time is versatile on Undress, the opening. Mm-hmm. Which is just like I remember I play this song for people sometimes, actually. I even recently had a story where that where I threw it on a little like not not a mixtape, but whatever the equivalent of that is now, like a playlist. And the person who I happened to be <laughs> giving it to liked to play things at work. So it became amusing to them because they kind of played it at work and they're like, it was a little too edgy for the office environment. And uh, <laughs> so it was very funny, but it, to me, it didn't even occur to me like, oh, this is, you know, inappropriate because it's like a bit whatever. It's a bit uh, wild. But, uh, but yeah, just, it's it, you know, the reaction I got even now, which wasn't like, you know, discussed or anything but it was just like the the reaction was this was still something that came off to them in like 2018 as like wow i can't believe this exists <laughs> it's from like 93 mm-hmm. so anyway yeah mm-hmm. i just think i think they're a, a great group i think uh, specifically i'm more f- familiar with like those first three lps kind of thing but love it yeah like it, it it's once again like a band that i don't know just it, it's it's funny to like yeah, we've had a lot of artists like this recently, but like to um, imagine a world without Pansy Division, you know? Yeah. And once again, like we talked about earlier, this is not to undercut no. all the important other bands that featured, you know, gay members, queer members, lesbian members, non-binary members, trans members, like all sorts of like 
different sorts of people in, in their band and were very open about that, you know? Um, but at the same time, like this band was just like, especially for like heteronormative pop punk in the nineties, like skate jock rock kind of vibe stuff. Yeah. Like this was very disruptive to the, to that kind of. Well, and this was the sort of, you know, I don't know via their record label at the time or whatever you want to say, but this is very much, at least my exposure to this group came through those means. Yeah. So it's not as if they weren't quote unquote being marketed intentionally or not in that way, but they, they certainly were being lumped in those categories. So, uh, yeah, like, again, I think this is where I feel that this group is like, is massively important. And particularly, I feel like this is a really good episode to, to talk about this because I feel like as well, they're a group that, you know, of course they're known, they've had a long career, but I don't, uh, Honestly, even before this interview, like I'm aware of them, you and I talk about them on occasion, but I don't, they don't get enough credit in my opinion Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. for this kind of what we're discussing Mm -hmm. and they are fully deserving. So, yeah. It's funny too. Like, were you a lookout kid? Not really. I was aware of certain things like, like, uh, obviously the Op Ivy thing or, uh, the other one, early one. But yeah, like Screeching Weasel, that kind of stuff. But no, not not uh, not really brand centric on that. No, because I think it, like post pop punk explosion, like '90s pop punk explosion, you kind of fell into two camps. If like you know you were kind of part of that, you know, like or even before that, but you kind of fell into these two camps in in that world. You were either yeah. like that epifat kind of kid that skateboarded, or you're more like a lookout kid that maybe did a zine. I like them all. In hindsight, I would be fully lookout, but um, they're all they're all great in their own ways. They all have undeniable catalog numbers. Mm-hmm. But um, but for me, lookout. I always like the aesthetic of lookout the most. I still think the logo for the label is super cool. Uh, again, like I love those early Screeching Weasel records or the Queers era on that label. Even stuff, of course, like a Veil or like you said, like a Neurosis, like the weird that whole weird bay thing. But, um, yeah, I don't know. Like I never had a, uh, I know you've, you've had more of this than I have where you had more like, a your obsession, well, is unquestionably deeper than my own, <laughs> but, but, uh, but yeah, so I never had like a, a like, I don't know, an un, undying devotion to look at or anything. I thought well, they were cool, but this comes up with, cause like also it came up on the George Pettit episode, uh, mm. mutual friend. Yeah, no, he, he definitely was more. Yeah. A lookout kid. Yeah, like I didn't grow up with George, but I mean, yeah, when I met George and we would discuss, you know, the past when we started to know one another, which was largely listening to like, (laughs) for those who don't know it, well, George has very, very eclectic taste. George has very good taste. And uh, we would discuss, you know, at the time when I got to know him, it was like sort of, uh, you know, early 2000s indie rock, broadly termed, and then like weird super aggressive or super against the grain, you know, broadly termed, I don't know, post-hardcore or something. Mm-hmm. And so the fact that he was into like, you know, pop punk records, I wasn't terribly surprised, but that was so into stuff like Lookout and that did surprise me. And yeah, he definitely was more that dude than I was, even speaking to him then. Um, but yeah, I don't know. I wish I was. I just never, I wasn't too proprietary with any of these labels. I liked them all. I, I consider them all on even keel. Although obviously I knew Lookout arguably weren't as big as something like Epitaph or something. 
Yeah, like I, I, I was definitely a uh, distinctly uh, lookout kid, and then there was a point, probably through propaganda, where I yeah. started being like a little bit more of a epithet kid. <laughs> yeah, I remember when G Seven first started their label, Propagandi's label, for the listeners who are not familiar. Whatever it's called, is it still called G Seven Welcoming Committee, or uh, is it changed the name? It's out of business. Well, whatever. It, I thought they changed the name based on the number going up or whatever over the years. But uh, anyway, uh, when that started, I remember being super psyched on that. <laughs> um, the fact that that label existed and was going to be a real thing. Um, so there were there were little things that I liked to air, like I said, eras of these labels for sure. I was really into, but no, I liked them. I liked them all. I had no, I didn't know how to contextualize Lookout though as like a Bay Area label or anything. Mm-hmm. That mm-hmm. didn't occur to me. I just thought, oh, everything's California. It's all. It's all beaches and sunset, and that's where where all this great, you know, punk music of this comes from. I think what scared me about the Epifat stuff at first is because I had such an aversion to metal. Yeah. Anytime I heard a lead, like a guitar lead, <laughs> I was just like, nope. See, I was the opposite. I came into things from metal, so I was, yeah. I didn't have an aversion to that. Uh, I just don't like, I know what you mean, though. That's a fair point. Uh I now I think what would bother me the most is the drums on most of these records like that that defined that sound that like the beat and the way it's compressed. Yeah, I think that would really turn me off now. I don't even know what got me so much about it as a young person, but now that's like definitely not what I do not want to hear. Uh not that there weren't some great drummers, but it's there is a way those drums were prevalent in that era that I don't think lent itself to the songs being more uh impactful. Especially in hindsight. What you're saying, Chris, is that Fat or Epitaph should give you a remix project where you go in and remix all the drum tracks. (laughs) No, I'll leave it to Diplo or someone. They can do it. (laughs) That would be amazing. (laughs) Please let that happen, Diplo. Please remix the Fat catalog. (laughs) Yes, please do that. (laughs) I like Some of the records are fine, don't get me wrong, but I, I would much rather listen to, I don't know, a group that didn't rely on sort of there's a couple of these tricks, which I feel some of them did in that era a little too heavily. It's funny because like I there's a lot of those bands that I, I I still love and I you know listen to all the time, but like and you know they don't sound the same, right? Like that's the thing. But like the thing about Lookout that I think was fascinating is that none of the bands sounded at all alike. Like Young Pioneers didn't sound anything like Pan's Division, who didn't sound anything like Avail, who didn't sound anything like Yep. You know, like it's a real like screeching weasel or, you know. I think that's something that I've, well, we've discussed a number of times on the show. And I think that you have done a very good job with articulating that because I have, that's been more uh, on notice for me more since doing this with you. hundred mm-hmm. percent. But yeah, like I knew, obviously I knew Pansy Division didn't sound like, you know, Neurosis or something. But I never really thought like, wow, that was a really diverse label. And yeah, when you look at it, it's kind of wild. Like, and if anything, it's funny that I think tastes in contemporary music, certainly, you know, uh, 2000s era indie rock blowing up, for example. Mm-hmm. I think a lot of the sensibilities uh, within the diverse range on something like Lookout is way more representative of what comes later in music on a, on a more popular level than things like Epitaph and Fat. Not to throw it.
again, any shade, there's good groups on all these labels, but yeah, and also these labels did transition into kind of different beasts as time went on. Yes, and, but I don't think they were. You know what I mean? I, I think that Lookout deserves the credit because they were that from the get-go. I'm not so sure you could say the same of the other labels. Yeah. Uh, not to say that they're not great labels in their own right or whatever. It's just, yeah, that, that roster was certainly more diverse. I don't know if it was out of necessity because the Bay bands or whatever bands they were interested in always were like that. But, you know, they were a smaller fish than something like Sub Pop. But, yeah, they had <laughs> groups equally as diverse in many ways. Which, you know, I wouldn't have ever weighed that on the same scale back then mm-hmm. at all. So, yeah. You're right. It's very, it's, it's interesting. It's like, uh, I don't know, it's, 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 uh, it's weird how the, how different that one big punk rock melting pot was in the two th- in the 90s. Mm-hmm. Um, it feels so uniform, but it was not. Yeah, I think that's an important point you you nail home to with this podcast and we discuss at nausea <laughs> footnotes is, yeah, as much as there is a sound and you say, you know, epifat, things of that nature, and, and there's, you know, those cues, people know what to, to derive from that. But certainly there's a lot more diversity in the 90s than uh, was or is acknowledged in hindsight. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Definitely. Green Day does not sound like The Offspring. No, they're definitely different enough. Green Day is better, first of all, but go on. Yeah, like it. I don't I, like either band that much, but go on. I do think that uh, self esteem might be like. It's a good song. It's, uh, it's, uh, as I was a kid, it was like probably one of my favorite songs for like a brief moment. Oh, definitely like that record had an impact, no question. And then but... I heard Salvation by Rancid, and I was like, nope. <laughs> this is what uh, I want. Yeah. But you know what I mean? Like, I, I do think, yeah, I think if you were just to weigh the group's, like, material as a whole, I think that Green Day wins out songwriting-wise. But, yeah, um, again, not groups that are my jam entirely, but if I were to acknowledge the songs that I'm aware of and records, yeah, it has to go to to the bay on that one. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I think so. I think yeah, I agree. Uh, another thing I want to talk about is the record label Outpunk. Mm-hmm. Are you familiar with this label, Chris? By name, I'm just going to look it up now to see if there's any other records I know. I know it, that's that that seven inch went on that label. It was actually like yeah, it came out of a zine that done by Matt Wobensmith. I hope that's how I pronounce his last name because I'm I, he's an awesome guy. I hung out with him a couple times. Uh, does a cool uh, comic book um, now to this day. I think he's still doing it. Um, he runs a awesome zine store in San Francisco that I hope still open uh goat blood, which has ridiculous fanzines in there. Um, but yeah, he, he started this label and it's a pretty fucking fantastic label. I don't know. Yeah. There's obviously I'm aware of some of these band names like pansy and tribe eight. Uh, and that's about it. I guess the need I'm familiar with too, if this is the same need, I think, I it, think is. it is, which, would make sense if they would be on this label. Yeah. Um but uh yeah, it is the same band. But that um, first comp's amazing. There's a dike yeah, like, in the pit. Yeah, like Team Dresh. I'm familiar with some of the stuff, but I don't uh no. I don't know I don't have any of these records, weirdly enough. I have a couple, but like I had no idea there were this many variations of the first record. That first comp is sick. That's one of my favorite bikini kill songs too. Dude, it's like a killer That's great. What a killer comp. What about the seven year bitch song being like so hard in title? 
Dead Men Don't Rape is a fuck. And that song is fucking hard. Yeah. This comp is so sick. It is cool. I've never seen this. That's It looks amazing. Yeah. I remember reading about this because there's like the research book to zines. Mm-hmm. And Matt's interviewed in that. And they talk about Outpunk and they talk about this record. And I was like, oh, my God, I got to get this record. Then got it at this full is, blast. This is the fifth column that. Yeah. Wow. Okay. So holy. Well, that's something else I wanted to talk about is kind of like the unheralded greatness of uh, Toronto's fifth column. Yeah. We have talked about this before. They're not a group I have any deep knowledge on, but you certainly have more than me. But I, yeah, 100%. um, I had no debate at all. And speaking of which, talking about another thing that doesn't get enough credit, uh, in my opinion, is these are the kind of groups which I refer to. Pansy Division, I would throw on that scale too, but certainly to a larger degree. But Fifth Column, yeah, for sure. Yeah, like there's the, you know, and it, you wouldn't really know this unless you were, well, there's a great documentary by Kevin Heggie that came out a couple of years ago. So if you get a chance to see that documentary, I strongly, strongly recommend you see it. Um, what, is, what is it called for those who don't know? Now i got to look it up. <laughs> That's what he said. <laughs> well, I, I get Column... Documentary. There it is. She said, "Boom." The story of Fifth Column. There we go. Um, but it's it's well worth seeing. Um, is it on? Oh, it's on Speaking. YouTube. The whole thing's on YouTube. No, no, just four minutes and fifty nine seconds of it. There's a q and A Q&A on uh, YouTube as well with him. Okay. Uh, Kevin, lovely human being as well. Kevin's um, the best. Yeah, but. Uh, uh, speaking of which, um, I was not aware that both She Said Booms and Toronto were still active and open. Yep. As well. Recently realized that they were still going and I was very pleased. Yeah. Fifth, fifth column, uh, you know, I'm pretty sure they're responsible for the name of that. Yeah. If but not, has, hashtag Real Toronto. There Real Toronto, exactly. <laughs> fifth column, though, are one of those bands that has been around for... Uh, it was around for a really long time, but like, you know, I've got like downstairs, I think I've talked about this before. Like I, I got a, a zine collection that belonged to one of the members of fifth column. And in that were like zines from, from members of bikini kill <clears throat> of like their zines with like notes on it. Like you are the inspiration for us doing this. Like, thank you for all the work you've done. And like, they are responsible for launching the career of, Bruce LeBruce, like, like JD's was Bruce LeBruce's launching pad. And that was through their help. Like obviously Bruce LeBruce launched himself, but you know, they, they helped provide him with that early kind of like launching pad. And, and they, you know, started this whole queer core zine movement out of Toronto. Um, And I think it's just the problem with this, with this country where we just do not like, um, I don't know, like validate cultural achievements, like past cultural achievements. It like has to be happening right fucking now. Well, I think that that is, I believe that's accurate. Yeah. I think the other issue with this is that you're dealing with a specific type of culture, which for people, even to this day, actually is still something that they either don't want to acknowledge or oppose for whatever foolish reasons. So I think that's probably Mm -hmm. why, historically some of this has never been acknowledged to the degree it should have been if i had to guess um but 
Yeah, I, I think all of this stuff. I think, you know, obviously Bruce the Bruce is kind of known, but JD's even is, is something that I think is, is very important and is not really, again, for people who know, and maybe I'm underestimating, you know, the generations that follow us, but I just don't, I don't hear enough of these things kind of bandied about regularly. Yeah. Uh, and so my assumption as a grumpy old person now is that they're either not acknowledged or they're just forgotten. And it's disappointing if that's the case. I'd like to hope it's not. But uh, but you're right. It is partially because, you know, we're, I think, traditionally, for whatever foolish reason, kind of an underdog, I don't know, nation or something where we don't, uh, you know, archive or whatever you want to say, like, like uh, cover this to the degree that it should have been or something. Although I do, to be fair, like I said, those... There's storefronts, which were arguably influenced by this group, which still exist and still are going, which is positive. And mm-hmm. this documentary exists, and Kevin's still around, and you know, so there's, it's definitely around. But I feel like it's something that you know, or you or you acknowledge, or you become aware of once you've sort of served your time, so to speak. I think it's very rare that you, you're going to fall into that right off, like you know, right in like first thing. It's something that I wasn't aware of till a while of, you know, being interested in this kind of like countercultural, whatever you want to say. Mm-hmm. I just think like, you know, they've been proven right, you know, by history. Yeah. And like a lot more people, especially in punk, have kind of like, I think are are more in line with the way they were thinking and the way they were approaching stuff mm-hmm. back then. And so it's it just seems like it would be a kind of a natural fit now that that you know everyone's kind of a little bit more on side with what they were talking about that they would have you know like a a grand rediscovery by people like you know like the cbc this is like something the cbc should be doing you know like this is what this is what i want to see my <laughs> i want to see my taxes going so kevin fucking heggy's documentary is played on the cbc and what well, i think that makes sense but i think what the broader point is that it's yeah it's someone needs to make it like obviously this specific thing Kevin has made, but I think broadly the, the, the cultural impact by and large beyond just this group of this sort of, you know, movement, if you will, that's what I think is, it's, it's sad. It hasn't been mined yet as far as content on whatever source, but yeah, I agree with you. That's what I want to see. I definitely don't want to see it going to grants for groups that I don't even want to hear play a note, let alone tour. So, yeah, I'd much rather <laughs> I'd much rather have a Native North America uh, dedicated, uh, you know, whatever radio station or documentary or whatever you want to say or what we're discussing rather than, you know, whatever kind of Canadian drivel. Headley. Headley. <laughs> yeah, exa- yeah, fair. Whatever one you want to use. Not that they play Headley on CBC, but they certainly no, played it on okay. enough other yeah. stations. And I mean, I'm 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 choosing the low hanging fruit by saying what I'm saying. I realize this, but you know, it's frustrating living here, and you know, sort of suffering through the mediocrity that gets chucked around both on television or in like you know whatever radio or whatever you want to say that is now. And yeah, while we talk about how much isn't actually acknowledged frequently on this show, well, it's just like there's so many cool stories. Like there's you know like. I was in a band. We put out a, a record. Uh, it caught the ear of an A and R guy. 
they they signed us, we got some grant money, and now we're a band. Like that's that's like a lot of the Canadian music industry story. Sure. Uh, but like here's a fucking like swearing a lot now because I'm tired and high. <laughs> but here's a band that like carved a path, you know? And I like this also applies to Pansy Division, you know, like not that they're Canadian, but you know, I would love to see, you know, but these are the bands that carve paths and like went against like the the current of the time in the genres that they were in and and just made space for themselves, like forced space for themselves so they could have a voice and have a place. And it's just like that to me is like I would love to hear fifth column stories about about just like existing and 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 not existing in the music industry, but like just existing around the music industry at the time and like other scenes they interacted with. Like that to me is is interesting. I agree. Um, well, we could talk more about Fifth Column, but uh, maybe we should uh, move on to a wrap-up yeah. point because we've talked a lot. Yeah. Um, let me see if I can pull something out. Just really quick because it's acknowledged a lot and you acknowledge it in the in the interview itself. But the Devo and B-52 shout-out, again, I think is majorly important. I think those – I value anyone's entry points with though, any of those LPs from those groups, specifically the early B-52s in particular. I think it's super strong stuff. So I'm into it. Anytime I hear someone reference those, I'm, I'm amped. Uh, and, you know what? And they've come up enough now. In yeah. a way that, like, I would say that they probably are more of a gateway for at least the people that have been covered on this show than The Clash and The Sex Pistols. Yeah, seemingly. It's hard to not acknowledge those two. But, yeah, I know what you mean when you're saying that, yeah. I think certainly what what it speaks to and why I mention it is it's a much more interesting narrative than you hear traditionally, mm-hmm. which is that any history book or any – even not a history book, any type of kind of like – something covering history that's going to recover punk traditionally might not include if it's like just a paragraph or two, it's not going to talk about those two groups Yeah, and arguably they're not, you know, the most sonically uh, representative of the, you know, the movement, so to speak. But I do think uh, overall, you know, aesthetically the whole package, they certainly are arguably more so even than something like, you know, what we've already discussed. You know, I think punk was much more a movement of ideology before it became a movement of sonics. True. Yeah, that's true. Um, but, the, yeah, they are two bands that have come up enough now on this show that I think, yeah, for my money, they're the bands that got more people into it that I enjoy the music of than anyone else. And, yeah, like I remember seeing crazy early footage on the aforementioned uh, Much Music some years ago. I don't even know what the – it was some kind of crazy live B-52s footage that they would show on occasion. And it was absolutely incredible. Actually, most stuff you'll see of their prime era, like 80, 79, 80. Well, like Rock Lobster video is live, right? And it's yeah, fucking it's This awesome. wasn't that though. This was another video where – I don't even think it was like a music video. It was just some kind of live – you know how they used to do that? Yeah, they used to um, go to every every concert that was happening. Yeah, just but this wasn't even – I don't even think this was one that happened in Toronto. It was just something they – for whatever reason had i remember seeing it right now. anyway it was incredible certainly representative like of punk as we speak of it now but uh yeah that i so i encourage anyone that you know just goes okay well this is a pop band i've heard one song of also i'd argue though even as like a pop group of like kitschy 80s stuff like rocks rock lobster is actually a deadly 
good like radio kind of song single whatever and it's almost seven minutes long which is insane so i would like to say that's the impetus for the entirety of the backbone of your group fucked up also damien rock lobster uh, (laughs) the idea of making a seven minute long like uh you know uh post futuristic (laughs) song and getting away with it on a on a larger scale i think that's fucked up move subconsciously yeah no, no. But uh, but no, I, I encourage like jokes aside or not. I I think like if you, if there are listeners out there that are just kind of like oh whatever, like check it out again. First self title especially, like check it out again. Great, great, great record. Great band. Yeah, they're a great band. One of one of the uh, oh, and a DIY band too. Like the first record they put on themselves. Well, the one I guess at first I guess it got reissued. Or you're talking yeah. like single? No, the single. Yeah, yeah, okay. I was going to be like the Warner Brothers part of the LP, but okay. Yeah. yeah. Wow, it is too. That's crazy. I've never seen this. Yeah. Oh, you really? No, it's cool. It doesn't go for that much money, right? Or what does I it don't go- think so. I don't, I'm going to look right now. Well, we, uh, we, if we want to use my statistic, which regular listeners can refer to, although somehow this is cheap, so they must have been a lot pressed. Uh, wants are more than double than have, which is usually trouble. But in this case, for whatever reason, is not as far as my resource rule of thumb, so to speak. Yeah. But this one is a little different. I guess there's a bunch of different versions, which is why it's not terribly expensive. And I suppose DB Records isn't actually an independent. Well, it's an <laughs> indie. It's not a self-release. It's not a DIY thing. It was a. It's like it's a. It's an indie. It's definitely an indie. But it's uh Yeah, it wasn't self-released. But you know what? Uh, Devo's first single was self-released. All right, there you go. So there, were, there was DIY in the new wave. Yeah. What a great. What, uh, what other points here? I'm trying to think of stuff to wrap up on. Well, we didn't talk about any of that. It's like Seattle stuff in the very beginning, which I was super excited to get to talk about because, like, literally all those bands that he mentioned, I, I have records by like a lot of them, but they don't <laughs> yeah, show. I up, can tell. They don't show up at all in the history books. No, I don't know any of that stuff either. When I was listening, I was, as per usual, blown away at your depth of knowledge. But I thought it was particularly funny that you guys would – he would mention some band and you would know it. You'd have the record. You'd reference some song I'd never heard of. Yeah. Like, and he'd be like, yeah. <laughs> like, I'm shocked that you had it. No, that that Heat song, I don't like your face. It's funny because like I saw the Melvins like the day after I did this interview and I was like, yeah, like I had Chris Freeman from Pansy Vision on. And they're like, oh, crazy. That's awesome. I'm like, yeah, you know, he's from Seattle. And they're like, no. And I'm like, yeah, he played in the, like this band Attachments. And they're like, I've never heard of them. I'm like, oh, they put a bunch of records. And I was like, <laughs> uh, you know, but then they brought the heat. And then they started both singing Dale and Buzz, that I don't like your face song. Nice. So I That's guess that cool. that was a local hit. But like, you know, the band's like the Cowboys that he talked about. And like, there's a, there's like a whole, it's amazing how much music came out of that city. It is true. I thought you did a good job of mining that a bit with him because I think people that are really into that. I mean, I was interested, in it, but I, I just so much of it, I was like, could not believe I was not aware of. <laughs> no, but uh, same here. Like, this is not something that the only reason I know about this stuff is actually I went to this record store, fucked up, played an in store at a record store one time, and across the street was this like, you know, like one of those record stores that's like the best record store just to hit on tour because it's just like boxes of forty fives, and it doesn't look like anyone's gone in through them in years. 
Yeah. Right. And, and so all the stuff that was probably that was there that had any connection to the, you know, mainstream alternative, quote unquote, or no, I should say mainstream, quote unquote, alternative kind of like rock history was all picked over, like all the sub pop stuff and all like that kind of world. But like there were all these other singles in these bins by these bands I had never heard of that kind of look punk, kind of look new wave, kind of look power pop, but they were all, you know, pretty good songs. Nice. Well, that's where you got all of this or some of this? All of it. Nice. Yeah, like all these bands. like it, it, And it's really like, once again, stuff that's not like not brought up in, in any sort of like real way in punk history books or or it's not taught in the punk schools. You know, like they got to check yeah, yeah. in punk school. Well, I think I do think it's people like you, though, that tend to highlight these things for people like me. And then that's where they that's where the taste gets made. So. Well, I I appreciate you for giving me that much credit, Chris. But I uh, I, I think in this case it's more uh, it's more just like uh, you know like this just more proof that there's all these like little scenes that this never ends. No, ever, no. no. That's the that's the saying, as you know. In the words <laughs> of Ryan Richardson. <laughs> yes. <laughs> um, the one single that I do want to find with the attachments is. How do you feel about me? Which is their second single, which is impossible to find. Yeah, never, that... never been sold on the resource. There's one for sale on the resource, but it's never actually been sold. <laughs> uh, those that's the metric that we have to use with trouble or not trouble. So that's that's also another trouble metric for those yes. that are keeping track. Never no history. Oh boy, you're up you're up against it. And the only the only copy of this record for sale, it doesn't sound like a very. It says "Play Strong VG Plus." <laughs> the way the guy's describing it doesn't sound like a VG Plus. <laughs> True, that's definitely open to interpretation. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, oh, this cr- is ner- nerdy humor at this point, but it is funny nonetheless. <laughs> we are we are nerdy guys. There's yeah. no there's I no hiding that. that. <laughs> I just like it, it just I laugh because it's the you know when you deal with especially buying records online this is definitely the world you get into yes the the grading the uh the leniency and grading that you want to put up with yeah you really learn about different countries exchange rates when it comes to conditions of records <laughs> like one country's VG plus is not another country's VG plus <laughs> that is an excellent point as well <laughs> I think I've, I don't want to uh, name the parties, uh, to, but there's a great quote I heard where like someone held up a record from a from a country where you know there isn't as much disposable income, you know, resources to get poly bags and all this kind of stuff, and the record was a little partied on. And he's like, "Where this record is from, this is near mint." <laughs> the notion of that it's just funny i've never ever thought about that before but yes i would believe there was truth to what you were saying absolutely <laughs> yeah and that country was england oh because <laughs> yeah. england records are always partying on a little bit <laughs> yeah that is true especially certain genres of certain eras 100 <laughs> percent. uh chris well we could talk more buddy but i i don't know is this good for tonight or is there no i think we're good i don't like i mean i think you you in the interview itself there's nothing i have to offer with all the seattle stuff you talk about i have no knowledge of a lot of it but 
think you and him work through that pretty good. So if anybody has any um, points to mention from some of this stuff, especially like the footnote centric stuff, the obscure stuff, feel free to email us. Mm-hmm. Uh, and we will dissect further, or more importantly, Damien will dissect further largely. And yeah, no, I'm good on everything else though, for sure. Well, I uh, appreciate everyone for listening. Uh, Thank you once again, Tristan, for getting Chris to come on the show. Thank you, Chris, for coming on the show. Thank you, Chris, for coming on this show, (laughs) your show. Yeah. You were missed missed last week. I I love having Dave here, but, you know, I need my Chris. uh, You know, it's funny because, like, Dave called up and it was like, uh, he's like, hey, so what are you doing tonight? I'm like, oh, actually, this is the part before the show where Chris and I gossip. And talk about stuff we can't talk about on the air. <laughs> yeah, was he into it? Um, it, it didn't get it. It didn't go as long as our. <laughs> yeah, it's uh, Dave is much more uh, of a well-adjusted human being than yeah. I am. I would argue. Yeah. So it's a little, little less dark. I would think. Apparently, times. me too. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, we we did get into some cool. Uh, we did get into some cool conversations, though. So, oh no, uh, Dave. Dave rules. I, I listened to a bit of it again. I haven't had I've been a very busy week, so I haven't had time to digest the whole thing. But I think Dave did an excellent job. I think both Daves, when they come on, are are exceedingly entertaining for yep. me, and I really like listening to them. So yeah, David, up. Thank you for coming on. It was great, and uh, yeah, I I love hearing from him. My dream, Chris, is that one day I can leave footnotes, and it'll just be <laughs> the the three of you. And I can listen to it as a fan. <laughs> sure. We'll see if we can get there. Because <laughs> that's that would be a great a great place to wind up one day with this show. Yeah, it would um, be uh I'd be the Chris Hardwick, I guess, in that scenario. And then uh I don't know, the Daves would be I don't know what they would be. But yeah. I, Chris, unless you're talking about a wrestling podcast, I have no idea what you're talking about. <laughs> sure. But I think the guy that you're referring to is Jonah Ray. <laughs> uh yes yes that 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 is an apt comparison or whatever uh but it was wasn't it chris harwick and jonah ray on that podcast for a while they're buddies i don't know he was on that Probably. he was on that podcast i'm I, I like now i sound like an asshole for poor jonah ray one of the nicest sweetest human beings we've ever had on this show yeah great episode too um but now i gotta look i'm, I'm sure i'm sure they were i'm sure i'm sure Anyway, I only know wrestling podcasts. If you were like, I'm going to be the John Pollock in this scenario, and Dave and Dave will be the Way Tings, that to me <laughs> makes sense, Chris. See, I now have no idea what you just said. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> do you ever like? Do you ever stop and think about like how many separate worlds you wind up existing in in your life? You know that just like you're completely unconnected from one another like you know people at work like if you were just ever like sit down and have like this kind of conversation with someone beside you at work they would they would call the police they would freak the fuck out they're like what are you talking about are you having a stroke (laughs) i think even if in most workplaces you just brought up like you know something like again that's sort of in the moment which is like you know, can you believe that Krang map? Like, what the hell is going on with that? Like, people would just be like, what are you talking about? Yeah, like, what Krang map? What's a Krang? I'm going to actually implore all of the listeners to attempt this. Yeah, uh, bring, up, bring, bring that specific topic up because it's recent and it's Googleable or whatever, easily enough. Uh, 
Yeah, just randomly bring it up to to your you know random coworkers and associates, and see what uh, kind of reaction you get. And yeah, if, uh, just walk around. You know, <laughs> wait for someone to bring up the Drake Pusha T beef, and you go. <laughs> Speaking of beefs, did you see the Kerrang map? <laughs> Yeah, well said. Or yeah, that's that's exactly it. Bring it up as a pivot mm-hmm. because you don't want to discuss something. Not the not the push of Drake beef because that's actually really amazing. But like, say when someone's like, "What about this Roseanne?" It's like just like I don't care about any of this stuff and just yeah. say you know. But you know what's you know what's just like that the cranks. <laughs> yeah, the you know, crank. Have you seen the crank <laughs> map? Speaking of controversies, have you seen the crank map? <laughs> exactly. What's that's your the, take you on just it. That's the perfect pivot. Speaking of controversies, dot dot dot. There you go. That's, that's going to be my thing when any and whenever someone tries to talk to me about some like dumb sport. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> just like answer back. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah, well, what's your thoughts on Age of Quarrel demo versus LP? Oh, well, yeah. And then there's the other, yeah. You could, there's so many pivots to do lately. But, uh, yeah, speaking of that, there's another. Okay, we're not talking about that at all. No. No. But, uh, yeah. <laughs> uh, the world never stops spinning. As the they world say. never stops spinning. Like, we live in a world right now where there's a lot of shit that we should all be focused on. But,. How can you do that when there's just so many entertaining distractions? It's true. It is true. That's a very good. Uh, <laughs> that's a very good ending. <laughs> well, thank I, you for being distracted with us. Cole. Yes, thank you for being distracted with us. We, you have a lot of other better distraction options out there, but you chose to be distracted by two guys staying up late. One, you know, higher than a seven forty-seven. The other one grounded in reality and we just <laughs> blathered on about punk and records yes so, you know what who's really sick in the society <laughs> something you'd ask yourself but come please don't stop listening no yeah <laughs> like i this is like the most passive form of entertainment out there no i think the, what I would say is like jokes aside, like I do what we're saying is all true, but I think that there is something uh good about genuine honest uh whatever conversation, and I think that's what you get here, not to toot our horns, so as much as it is distraction, it's all escapism, whatever, but like you don't gravitate to this if you don't have some kind of a clue in my opinion, and therefore it's honest, so. At least you can feel not guilty about that. But yeah. Well, Chris, I couldn't sum it up any better myself. How did it reach <laughs> us here? Turn out a punk footnotes at gmail.com. And you can find me on various forms of social media at Lefford Damien. Please subscribe to this, write a review, rate it on your preferred place to listen to it. And uh that's it. Next week's a real weird, fun one. It's a completely different sort of thing. It's basically just like like someone, uh, you know, uh, was wearing a wire on a random conversation between Brian Walsby and myself, and then Buzz from the Melvin walks in for the last half of it. So, <laughs> <Nice>. <laughs> But it's, it's, it's awesome. Actually, Buzz is there for most of it, actually. But it's like the three of us just kind of like talking, and it's – yeah, yeah, it's like it's fun. Like as much as I love doing Turn It a Punk with you know the the format that we kind of keep around here, it's cool to kind of have a chance to go back and sit down with someone when there's no pressure to get to all those sort of nerdy details and just to to 
nerd out with them on general subjects. Yeah, agreed. I think it's uh, you've done a, a couple episodes that I think have ended up like that, and I think they're they always end up interesting. So I see what you're saying. Yeah, yeah. And Buzzo, man, like you know, you want to hear King Buzzo talk about Poison Idea? That's next week. Nice. Some good conversation on that subject. A lot, a lot of good conversation next week. Um, and Brian Walsby's back. The most interesting man in the history of alternative music. <laughs> and a hell of a visual artist, too. An amazing visual artist. We talk about that on the show. It'll be all, you know, we're going to, you're going to listen to it next week. You'll hear it all. And then Chris and I will dissect it. That's what we do. That's how the Turn It to Punk uh, processing plant works. I, uh, I have a pitch, too, I just thought of. What's that? A collaboration. Go on. Um, you and Brian. Doing mm-hmm. some kind of a visual, uh, you know, artwork that is applied to a sneaker from an aforementioned brand that is a friend of the show. Uh, so I'm putting it out in the world. I'm hoping the reverberations. Oh, damn! That's a good idea. Make, make a thing, and uh, let's let's make this happen. I.e., uh, management on your end. Come on, knock on some doors. Whatever needs to happen. That's a good idea. Well, Chris, there are some. Uh... There are some uh, movements in the Turn It A Punk camp right now. There are some interesting things happening in a foot. All right. You know, we're trying to, trying to, you know, like now that I'm now that I don't have a wrestling TV show to occupy my time, um, <laughs> I have nothing to do but fantasize about different things to do with Turn It A Punk. Nice. So, but that is in the future. For now, we will see you next week.